Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, December 18th, 2020. We are going to continue with the sermon review that we started a couple of days ago. I'm in pain. As odd as it sounds, I would prefer to get on to Irwin McManus. We'll have to save that sermon review till next week. Uh, Unfinished lab work. It's like having homework. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, <gasps> self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, it's like Far from biblical, far from what God's word says. It's just really bad out there. <laughs> just basic way of putting it. So we are in our series on hearing the voice of God, doing some lab work as we round out the series so that you can, you know, you, you can take this and learn how to apply it. Now, here's the thing. We've been doing a Rick Warren sermon, but the reality is this. There are so many guys out there and gals now, uh, which they shouldn't be doing. Uh, a lot of guys and gals out there teaching the same stuff. And so, and they are twisting up God's word in exactly the same ways that Rick Warren is doing it. So the, the it's, Rick Warren is like, um, he's, he's like your, um, apex, um, th- uh, theological predator, <laughs> kind of a, like a, Theological velociraptor. I, I think he lost his sheepskin a long time ago. He, you know, he doesn't even try the angel of light thing anymore. He just comes to us as a complete deceiver and makes no bones about the fact that he twists up God's word really badly, and he knows no one's going to call him on it. It's just really frightening. But here's the thing. You may be attending a church where somebody is doing these same things, and you've thought, you know, there's something wrong with this guy. 
uh, yeah, this is supposed to help equip you to be able to spot it because I can't get to everybody. So, so that you can sit there and go, wait a second, I can see how this guy is doing this now. And whoa, when I go and put back these contexts in con, con uh, context, these texts in context, you know, the, that the Bible isn't saying the things that he's saying that it says. And so this is a church I need to flee from. That's the idea. So, uh, all of that being said, what we're going to do here, yeah, we're going to, we're going to get into our sermon roof. So let, let, let's, let's do this our traditional way, shall we? Yeah. <clears throat> Hang on. I got to stretch. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to pull something because I just don't want to do this. Anyway. <laughs> so going, like, why are you showing me that Rosemary? That makes me not want to watch the sermon. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get through this together. We'll, let's endeavor to persevere, shall we? But uh, let's do this right. Here we go. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon this is part two of rick warren's hillsong conference sermon that he played at saddleback as a sermon titled hearing the voice of god and so this is from hillsong 20, uh, conference 2015 we're already halfway through this or we're past like the the, the the high water mark and we've noted that every biblical text he's touched he's completely mangled it and made it say things it ain't saying and infer things that it ain't inferring and and then he make made up stuff too, of, you know, regarding one text, make it say something it didn't say altogether at all. So he's added to the God, word of God, twisted it. Yeah, I, I think you get there. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And uh, without any further ado, let's um, let's pull this up and uh, whirl up our web browser. Ready? Okay, one, two, three. Let's go. <laughs> Here we go. So how do you receive guidance from God? How do you hear the voice of God? By opening the Bible. Uh, sorry, I, I, I'm jumping the gun. I, I, I went a little too emotional too quick. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll rein myself in. My apologies. Well, the model, or at least one of the models is in a little-known book at the end of the New Old Testament. It's so there's a model in a little-known book on how to hear the voice of God? Really? Oh, the book of Habakkuk. Oh, no. I, as a pastor... You know, a little bit of a note here. Habakkuk chapter 2 is a place, place where people like Terry Savelle Foy claim that it teaches vision boarding. I <laughs> Habakkuk ta- chapter 2, the, the beginning of it, is so, so abused, it's not even funny. So, uh, uh, yeah, I've, I've got no confidence that we're going to hear a correct exposition of Habakkuk. In fact, let's do a little preemptive work in the biblical text, shall we? That that way, I, you know, I <laughs> I don't loathe doing this as much <laughs> as I am loathing it right now. So Habakkuk. All right, so here's Habakkuk. Our three rules for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, and context. And Habakkuk's a small book, and uh, let's do a little bit of work in it. Uh, So I'll be reading from the ESV, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Uh, So, O Yahweh, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or I cry uh, to you violence, and you will not save. So you'll you'll note Habakkuk's, uh, this is a little bit of a complaint on his part that 
evil seems to be having the upper hand, and it appears like God is complacent, that he doesn't care. He's not doing anything about it. He's not answering prayers. So why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. That sounds like today. All right, so... Uh, so God is going to now answer Habakkuk. So th- you'll, you'll note that Habakkuk is a prophet of God. And so there's a little bit of give and take here. There's a little bit of back and forth. There's conversation going on. But I doubt that when we get to Habakkuk chapter 2, the opening verses, that this is going to turn into a how-to text, how you can hear the voice of God. Remember, he's an Old Testament prophet. Okay, God spoke. Yeah, in fact, let me let me throw this in just for good measure so that no one accuses me of wrongdoing when it comes to exegesis. Hebrews chapter 1, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So I don't have a problem sitting here saying, yep, God's talking to Habakkuk. All right, so here's God's answer. So look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves, not from God. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. So God's calling these men for judgment. They fly like eagles, eagles swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At, At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. They sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. All right. Um, now Habakkuk fires back, if you would. Are you not from everlasting? Oh, Yahweh, my God, my Holy One. We shall not die. Oh, Yahweh, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them from re- for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the more the man more righteous than he you make mankind like the fish of the sea like crawling things that have no ruler he brings all of them up with a hook he drags them out with his net he gathers them in his dragnet he rejoices at, 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 at to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever so you'll note Habakkuk complains to God about something. God answers. Now he's complained about another thing. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, and God answers. Now, a little bit of a note. The the chapter numbers and the verse numbers, they're not inspired, man. So when Habakkuk published this book as part of the Bible uh, back in the day, there were no chapter headings. There were no numbers or verse numbers. That was an apparatus put on the text to help us get to places quicker. So there's no break here in the concept at all. So then here's where it goes. So, it, so you know, he's asked God a question, 
And uh, and now, watch what he says. I will take my stand at my watch post, Mishmaret, uh, uh, and uh, and station myself on the tower and look to see what he will say to me. Now, that is uh, an interesting word, ra'ah. Um, normally, people hear, <laughs> not see. So, uh, so whatever the visions were, however God spoke to Habakkuk, it looks like God spoke to Habakkuk in a visual way. I will look to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So Yahweh now answered. All right, so you see what's going on. I'm going to see what he's going to answer, what concerning my complaint. So he's complained to God. Now he's going to watch to see what God's going to speak. And so Yahweh answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he who so he may run who reads it. Let's make it very clear. Even a running man could read these, you know, that make this this vision plain. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. I will surely come and I will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. His faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he, is never, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own people. All right, so God is, you know, this is a dialogue going on here. Now, we've read, into, we've read the, the, the entire context of the opening part of Habakkuk 2, and we've seen that, uh, you know what's going on here? This is not a prescriptive text. At least a prescriptive text says, here are the steps that you can go through to hear the voice of God. Uh, in fact, you'll note that when we go into Habakkuk 1, there were no steps that Habakkuk took in order to hear the voice of God. He complained, God answered. He's a prophet. So as we watch Rick Warren go into this text, we're going to note here, if he cl- if he's thinking that this is a text that teaches us steps that we need to go through in order to hear God's voice, He's utterly mangling this text, totally mangling his this text because it doesn't say any of the things that he's about to say. And unfortunately, I know what he's about to say. So <clears throat> let's go back then to uh, Rick Warren, shall we? Let's see what he does with this. I like to always teach my people these little books because, and I'm teaching this to you today because when you get to heaven, I don't want you to be embarrassed. I don't want Habakkuk come up to me, come up to you and say, hey, how'd you like my book? And you go, oh, oh, Mr. Habakkuk, I didn't even know you were in the Bible. That would be embarrassing. Yeah, if you had the opportunity to talk to Habakkuk in heaven, which is doubtful at this point based on how you twist God's word, um, Habakkuk would probably um, be a little bit cross and say, why did you twist my book to make it say things that it doesn't say and turned it into a how-to on how people can hear the voice of God when I did that's not what that was about at all he he might say that I mean that would be awkward you know so pastors there are major truths in the minor prophets and you need to study those indeed you got to study and be able to uh, to teach the full counsel of the word of God including Habakkuk Habakkuk we find the model for hearing the voice of God no you don't Habakkuk chapter 2 does not give us a model for how to hear the voice of God. Watch what he does with this. It's just blasphemous. Chapter 1 of Habakkuk, Habakkuk asks God six questions, very specific questions. 
And in chapter 2, he gets a very specific answer. Now, what he just said is inaccurate. In chapter 1, Habakkuk asks a question of God, or several questions of God, and in chapter 1, God answers. At the end of chapter 1, Habakkuk asks more questions, and then God answers. That little bit is important because when you see that God answered Habakkuk and there was there were, he didn't follow the so-called steps to hear the voice of God, you can see what Rick Warren is doing here. He's twisting this text. So let me back this up so that you can see this in the context. So, um, so Habakkuk, again, he says, uh, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? How, I'll cry violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Well, note verse 5, God answers. So there were no steps that Habakkuk went through in chapter 1 in order for God to answer him. He's a prophet. So that being the case, what Rick Warren's argument is, and he's slightly twisted the thing here by ignoring the fact that God speaks to Habakkuk in chapter 1, no preparation, no steps. He just asks, God answers. That is the relationship the prophets have with God. So we we got some big, big problems here because he's miss he's he hasn't properly set this up and he's not telling the whole truth regarding chapter one. And that's intentional. Let me back it up so you can hear it again. Here we go. Of Habakkuk. Habakkuk asks God six questions, very specific questions. And in chapter two, he gets a very specific answer. In chapter 1, he gets an answer. And in chapter 2, he gets an answer. Let me read it to you. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. These are the five things you do to hear the voice of God. No, they're not. There, there is no to-do list in Habakkuk chapter 2 in order to hear the voice of God. Rick, you are lying to these people. You are flat out deceiving them. You are speaking the native language of the devil by twisting God's word this way. I will climb up in my watchtower and I will wait and I will look to see what the Lord will say. Then the Lord gave me this answer. Write down what I reveal to you so that you can read it at a glance. When I read it out in context, did the opening two verses of Habakkuk chapter 2 come across as a to-do list? These are the things that you must do in order to hear the voice of God. Why didn't Habakkuk do those things in chapter 1? And God spoke to him in chapter 1 without him doing any of these things. You see, the whole thing comes crumbling down when you just put it back in context and ask yourself the question, is this really what this text is saying? Is this really what God meant for it to say? Now, Habakkuk models the five steps of hearing the voice of God. No, he doesn't. Where in Scripture does it say these are the five steps to hear the voice of God? Speak, Lord. I'm listening. Okay, write these down. Here's step number one. If you want to hear the voice of God in your life, and these will become second nature to you when you get to be as old as I do if you practice it all your life. Number one is withdraw. Withdraw. In other words, I pull back, I get alone with God in a quiet place. 
Habakkuk says, I will climb into my watchtower. That's a Hebrew expression that means just getting alone. No, it isn't. No, (laughs) it is not. You just made that up. (laughs) Just, just, this is nuts. Okay, so our text here. I will take my step at my watch post. Mishmeret. Mishmeret is our Hebrew here. And it just, it means, you know, a a guard, you know, a guard post. (laughs) It is not a Hebrew idiom for get alone with God. This is not, uh, this is not at all Habakkuk going into his, uh, his prayer closet war room or anything like that. This is, what he just said is not even remotely historically accurate. And Mishmeret is just a very common phrase, a word in the Old Testament. You can't hear God's voice if you've got your earbuds in. Oh, so he's just getting alone into a quiet place. Uh Uh-huh. As he's meditating, this is the air I breathe. Uh Uh-huh. This is total nonsense. That's not what's going on here. If you're always listening to something else, if you're always surrounded by noise... The Bible tells us that Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. Yes, he did. That's absolutely true. Christ did, you know, retreat to, uh, you know, to quiet places to pray. And when we pray, that is petitioning God, making requests and supplications known to God. That is no, the, the, the quiet aspect of it is so that your mind can focus on what it is that you're praying to God Nowhere in Scripture are we led to believe that God's going to answer our request with an audible voice or an impression on our heart or something like, or some kind of an image popping into our head. Often means it's a habit. Do you have that habit? Some of you can't stand to be alone. It scares you. It's- I'm an introvert. I thrive on that. It freaks you out. It makes you nervous. You can last in silence about three seconds. Then you got to turn on your MP3 player or whatever. What you got to do is withdraw. You got to remove every distraction as possible. I withdraw, get alone, quiet. I will climb my watchtower. Number two, you wait. You withdraw, then you wait. This is not a to-do list. You're making this up. Now we we got a descriptive text that he's turned into a prescription with five things you got to do. Uh, this is the five things he modeled for us to hear the voice of God. That's not what this text is teaching at all. He says, um, I will wait. So what does that mean? That means I calm my thoughts and I calm my emotions. NIV translation says, I will station myself. What does it mean station? It means you don't move. You be still. You calm down. Hurry is the death of prayer. God, I need you to talk to me, but you need to tell me really quick. Notice what he's saying. Prayer is somehow a two-way conversation. Nowhere in the New Testament or the Old Testament are we told that normatively prayer is a two-way conversation. His assumptions are wrong. And that may be part of the reason why he's twisting a text up like this, because he's listening to other voices than the voice of God that are not, not from God at all. Other voices that would have you want to listen to them, you know, like demonic voices. I'm in a hurry. I'm going to Starbucks. (laughs) Then you're not going to hear God. God speaks to those who wait on him. You got to withdraw and you got to... What scripture says God speaks to those who wait on him? Habakkuk 2 doesn't say that. 
God speaks to those who take the time to listen. And and, and no text says that either. In that waiting period, what you do is you calm your body and you calm your mind and you calm your emotions. How do you do that? You do it the way David did. David shows us how to do this in scripture. He, He did. So David showed us how he calmed himself so that he can hear the voice of God. You are aware that when David sought to hear, you know, get an answer from God regarding questions, he went to the high priest. And God didn't speak directly to him regarding his sin. He sent either Nathan the prophet or Gad. Um, Where can you show me that God spoke directly to David apart from an intermediary? And that, and that he, he learned how to calm himself so that he could hear God's voice. The first thing you do is you relax your body. Psalm 46, David says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. My- All right, okay, we're going to, Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God, period. All right, let's do a little fact checking. Because so far, every text he's touched, he's messed up. So we are going to look for Psalm 46. And we're going to apply the three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. And uh, let's see here. Is, is Psalm 46.10 the, the thing we need to do in order to hear the voice of God? Is that what we, when we look at this in context, is that what we're going to see? Well, here's what it says. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of armies, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, by the way, when you're reading in the Psalms and you see the word Salah, that, that, you don't say it out loud. You just you Think of it this way. The, 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 it's an it's a indicator to just stop, slow down, and think about what it is that you just heard or you just read. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the work of Yahweh, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of armies, the Yahweh of armies, he is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, that's the entire psalm. And all he did was take these words, be still and know that I am God, ripped them from their context, and said that David was using this, and this is, a, this is in the Bible so that we learn how to be quiet so we can hear the voice of God. But this is not, a, this is not teaching that at all. This is a... Uh, text that teaches us to trust in Yahweh in a time of trouble. Our God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble.
trouble. This is about faith, trusting that God cares about you, and he's strong enough to deliver you. I mean, he's, if he can cause wars to end throughout the earth, he's that strong. Believe me, he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. That's what the point of the psalm is. Not what Rick Warren said. So let me back this up so you can rehear Rick Warren twisting Psalm 4610. I, I mean, again, this is so demonic. Every text he's, he's touching, he's referencing, has nothing to do with the things that he says that they have to do with. He's literally wrestled these biblical texts away from what they're saying to make them say what he wants them to say. And the doctrine he's teaching is not found in the scripture. Backing it up. Here we go. That you do it the way David did. David shows us how to do this in Scripture. The first- really, David shows us how to hear the voice of God in Psalm forty six ten. No, he doesn't. I just read the whole the whole Psalm. Thing you do is you relax your body. Psalm forty six. David says, "Be still, be still, and know that I am God." Modern translation, Rick Warren translation. Sit down and shut up. <laughs> be still. Everybody right now, just take a deep breath and let it out. Would you like me to go, um, maybe I can sit in the lotus position. And then you just kind of move your muscles a little bit and you just kind of, you know, shake it out and you just relax. And, and you just be quiet and you let go of tension and you get comfortable. The Bible says David sat before the Lord. No, no context at all. Where in the Bible does it say David sat before the Lord so that he can hear the audible voice of God? I'll be honest with you. I don't kneel in prayer very much. Why? It hurts. <laughs> and when I'm in pain, I can't hear the voice of God. Kneeling is a good posture for prayer. Uh, James, one of the martyrs of the early Christian church, James they called him camel knees. And uh, they, he was martyred by having his head taken off his shoulders. Camel knees, because he was constantly praying. I hear God much easier in my lazy boy chair. <laughs> or prone, which is my favorite position. Uh, so you relax your body and then you just sit in silence. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, my soul waits in silence for God. Psalm 62, let's take a look at that one. Psalm 62, 5. So Psalm 62, 5 teaching us that if we are silent before God, that God will speak to us. Context, context, context. Psalm 65, oh, hang on a second, was it 62? Let me see, 62. My apologies, I went to the wrong passage. Let's see, Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, my soul, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. So what am I waiting for? 
from God? Salvation, not for him to speak to me. So he's twisted Psalm 62, 5 now as well. I've lost track of how many passages he's utterly mangled in this presentation on hearing the voice of God. I can tell you one thing's for sure. There is one being whose voice is not being heard at Hillsong 2015 in this lecture, and that's God's voice. Rick Warren has hijacked the voice of God to make his voice say things that his voice never said. God isn't speaking through Rick right now. The people there at Hillsong 2015, they didn't hear God speaking in this conference, not in this lecture. Until you get comfortable with silence, you will never, never, never hear the voice of God. Says no text anywhere. Until you get comfortable with silence. Now, you just be quiet. I say it like this. Inner calm gives me the inner calm to God. Yeah, that's how you say it. But no biblical author said it like that or even anything even remotely like that. You just made up your own doctrine. This is a man-made doctrine. Inner calm creates the inner calm, the channel to hearing the voice of God. And if you don't hear the voice of God, you're just hoping for the best in life. As I said, almost everything I've done in life, I just move when God says move, and I wait when God says wait, and I go slow when God says slow, and I run when God says run, and I just listen to the voice of God. It's not that hard once you learn how to do it. You would Yeah, the problem is this is not a biblical doctrine at all, and you, you've, you've apparently achieved a skill that the Bible nowhere teaches us to have. Draw... And you wait, and you relax your body, and you sit in silence. You cannot force this. It takes time. Number three. Says you. The third thing Habakkuk does is he says, I will look to see what the Lord will say. Here's the third thing he does. Read the word of God. Now, this is the only thing I agree with him on. And this is (laughs) going to be awkward because... How he's using the Word of God is the issue. Now, God's voice is definitely in the Word, and he's going to say something that you sit and go, well, then why all this other stuff? But here's the thing. He's brought all this other stuff. This isn't the, the read the Word of God for understanding. This is something very different. I will look to see what the Lord will say. Now, that doesn't even... By the way, Habakkuk was not saying read your Bible there. Again, this is a descriptive text. Sound right, does it? Why does it say, look to see what God says? It makes more sense to say, listen to hear what God says. But it doesn't say, listen to hear what God says. It says, look to see what God says. God's will is found in God's word. Indeed. Amen. First thing he said that I really agree with. But don't worry, he's going to completely undo this. Don't think he's saying, well, we can hear the voice of God in the scriptures alone. Uh, That's where it's promised to be, because notice he's twisted the whole, this is all about you hearing God's voice. What he's saying is not going to undo any of the damage that he's done previous to the statement. It's found right here in, in, in the Word of God. It's all right there. God will never contradict his Word. I want you to... I agree. But you've been contradicting and making void God's Word this entire sermon. Write this down. 
Stop waiting for a voice and start looking for a verse. All right, and then the voice will talk. So look for a verse. That was worth the price of the conference. You can go home now. Really, people paid money to hear you say that? Stop waiting for a voice, some sign in the sky, and start looking for a verse. God has already said an awful lot right here. And mm-hmm. you look for it. Now, but I want to add to this also. <laughs> and here it is. But I want to add to this also. He says, I will look to see what God will say because God often speaks to us in mental pictures. God definitely spoke that way to Habakkuk. That, you read the commentaries on that, and they make a, a note of the, the very interesting thing that Habakkuk says there, that I will wait and see what he says. But that being the case, this is, again, not some model for us to follow. And now he's twisting this up and basically saying, God, now look for a verse, but God's going to speak to you in mental pictures. Which text says that? He does this hundreds of times in Scripture. I agree. God does speak to people in visions and riddles and dreams. But now in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And, uh, you know, the New Testament texts are practically a face-to-face clear revelation of, of God in his communication to us. And he speaks to us in a visual that you get in your mind. So a lot of times as I'm just sitting outside in the morning alone with God and I'll say, Jesus, is there anything you want to say to me? And I'll just wait. And I'll worship, and I'll read, and I'll wait some more, and I'll be quiet. And sometimes he says, no, everything's fine. And sometimes you go, you need to work on this. Yeah, if you were really hearing Christ's voice, he would tell you, you need to work on exegesis and rightly handling his word and tell you to repent of all the false doctrine you've taught by twisting his word. But about 80% of the stuff God says to me is just encouragement. I had a lady in my church one time, every week after church, she'd come up to me and she said, God just convicted me of, and then the next week, God just really got me on, and then the next week, God just criticized me for, and on. And finally, after about six months, I said, ma'am, does God ever say anything nice to you? I don't think you're dialed into the same God I know. Because it's always, I think you are projecting on God. Step number four, I, I withdraw to a secret place. I wait <laughs> the secret place. Uh, I don't have one. And if I did and I told you about it, it would no longer be a secret place. Call my thoughts and emotion. And then I read. I will look to see what the Lord will say. And then step four, I write. I write down the insights I receive. And about- Unbelievable. Wow. This is the fourth thing. He says, Then the Lord gave me the answer. Write down what I reveal to you. Right, because the, the revelation was to be read by other people. God's warning of the, to them to tell them to repent. Otherwise, he's going to judge them. In chapter 1, Habakkuk writes down what he said to God. And in chapter 2, he writes down what God says back to him. Is it okay to write down your prayers and read them to God? Uh, duh. They're called the book of Psalms. 
Now, I agree. The, the Psalms, many of them are actual prayers, and you can pray them. You want to learn how to pray, pray the Psalms. I, I'm, in, I'm in agreement with him there. But, you know, what's that agreement compared to the vast majority of the complete and utter twisting of God's word that he's done in this lecture? Uh, so that's how we got a lot of the Bible. Okay, and then finally, five, and I'm going to ask Pastor Brian to come up on stage now, and we're going to set up a couple chairs here. Finally, the fifth thing is review. I review... <laughs> this is just bizarre. Utterly blasphemous how he's mishandling Habakkuk too. Regularly, what God has taught me. And I, he says, write down what I... So I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to wait. I'm going to get impressions in my head after I've read the Word of God. I have to write down those impressions, and then I review regularly those impressions and believe that's what God is teaching me, rather than actually reading my Bible for understanding. Right. Reveal to you so you can read it at a glance. Now, why should you write down the impressions that God gives to you in your time? What makes you think God's given me impressions? I'm a quiet time. Because one of the things you need to do is test them. You need to test So now we've got to test the impressions. Test them. And I asked Pastor Brian last night, I said, you know what? I I'd like to invite you up and let's just spend the last nine or ten minutes talking about how to test an impression. How do you know? So you got to write down the impressions, and then you got to test them. Is this God or not? If an idea came from God, or how do you know if it came from the devil, or how do you know that it came from the bur bad burrito you ate last night? <laughs> Which I've had many false impressions from bad burritos. <laughs> but the Bible says uh, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And that has nothing to do with testing impressions. And the Bible says us that you can fool yourself. So how do you know? Now, let's set these chairs up here. And, and I want to just ask Brian, first thing, why did you choose this theme? Speak, Lord, I'm listening. And, and what does that mean to you? Let's Worst question ever. If you've sat in a life group, a small group Bible study, and after they've uh, enjoyed some uh, tortilla chips and bean dip, uh, you know, decided to go around the room after the leader of the Bible study, and you have to say Bible study in air quotes, has uh, read one or two verses out of context, and then they say, let's go around the room and let's answer the question, what does this verse mean to you? All right. When you do that, you are you are utterly defying God and rebelling against him and not doing something correct because it is not about what a verse subjectively means to you. The question is, what does the passage mean? What is God communicated in this text? And it doesn't subjectively then depend upon, well, what does it mean to me? And, and you sit, you know, if you were to sit there and say, well, wait a second, no, the question is, what does it mean? No, 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 no. That's not what this is for. We're just going to go around the room. What does this verse mean to you? Oh, it means rainbows and butterflies and, and how God's going to make me brave when, when, uh, you know, when, when my children uh, get mad at me and have a temper tantrum when I discipline them. And you sit there, what? What? Right, and then the next person. Oh well, this I really this verse is what this means to me, and it's something totally different. No, the question is, what does it mean? 
knows what Rick Warren just asked. <laughs> just asked Brian Houston. So you, you, the, the, the theme for the conference is speak, Lord. Uh, you, you know, your, your servant is listening. What does that mean to you? Here we go. Listening. Ask Brian. First thing, why did you choose this theme? Speak, Lord. I'm listening. And, and what does that mean to you? Let's welcome Pastor Brian back. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, but if there was a third false teacher on stage, you'd call that a wolf pack. Let's thank Pastor Rick for great instruction so far. <laughs> really? Really? You don't even know your Bible well enough, Brian Houston, to see that Rick Warren totally mangled God's word here and taught a doctrine that is nowhere found in Scripture? Fascinating. He has zero biblical discernment. <laughs> All right, so I want, I'm going to give a list of six ways to test an impression. You might write these down. And where in the Bible is this list found? This, the, the, in Scripture, where is this list given as the six ways to test an impression? Just gonna, we've only got about eight minutes left, so we've got about a minute on each one. I'll mention the, the concept, and Brian, if you want to comment on any of them. Okay. So, first test. How do you test if an idea is from God? Number one, is it consistent with the Bible? The Bible says in uh, Luke... Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will pass away. The Bible says the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. It's got to line up with the word. So, I mean, this is their pious, you know, at least nod, you know, lip service to Scripture. But the entire lecture put out a doctrine that isn't taught in Scripture. And so to make this appear like this is a biblical teaching... Well, we've got to admit that if if I get an impression that is contradictory to Scripture, that that can't be from God. Well, I can tell you a terrible example of someone doing that badly. Hmm. Many, many years ago, we were speaking to someone who, uh, he, had, he had 11 children. Uh-huh. And uh, he, uh, you know, was obviously happily married. Well, we thought happily married. Anyway, he had an affair. Yeah. And so when we confronted him, yeah. he's part of the church, when we, not our church, this was before Hillsong, yeah. but yeah. when we confronted him, he said, no, God spoke to me and said, it's okay. <laughs> and uh, so yeah. I said, well, what did God say? He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's clearly one of the commands of God. <laughs> so I guess it has to line up with yeah. the whole tenor of Scripture, yeah, 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 yeah. not a random verse. The whole tenor of Scripture. Hello, are you, do you even know the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not commit adultery? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, that's like the guy who was trying to do the dip and skip method. And he said, Lord, show me your will today. And he opened up the Bible and he put his finger down on the verse and it said, Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> and he thought, that couldn't be right. So he flips it around again and he puts his finger down and Jesus said, what thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> that's the kind of result if you do this cafeteria dip and skip style. So don't do that. Okay, question number two. No reference to the reason why this was wrong is because Scripture says thou shalt not commit adultery. 
Ready for test? We're, we're running through these. I could give you an hour on each one. But test number two, will it make me more like Christ? Where are, so if I have an impression in my head, if I ask myself, will it make me more like Christ? Then it's got to be Jesus talking to me. Where is that found in scripture as a test for impressions? It's the second test of an impression. Second Corinthians 10, 5, we take every thought captive to make it obedient. Yeah, Second Corinthians 10, 5, let's take a look at the context of that. Is that talking about testing impressions? Second Corinthians chapter 10. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So here this is talking about what? People who have leveled arguments and lofty opinions against the knowledge of God. And so we wage war against them with divine weapons to destroy their their arguments and to take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. This isn't talking about, and here's the way you test to see whether or not your impression is from God. If it's going to make you more like Jesus, you know, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. <laughs> yeah, so no, he's uh, twisting scripture yet again. He hasn't stopped. It's been one long train wreck of scripture twisting here. Christ. Christ is the ultimate standard. And so if it's going to make you more like Christ, it's likely to come from God. Talk, you want to talk about that? Well, all I would say is that... Um... Firstly, I think it's a great it's a great uh, test. Mm-hmm. Be- yeah, I, I, Rick, uh, you know, Brian Houston likes it, man. It, that's a good test. It's not biblical. None of this is, but yeah, it's a good test. Because uh, if if it's not taking us closer to Jesus and closer to the will of God, then mm-hmm. I think that should be fairly clear. Mm-hmm. Okay, test number three. Here's a big one. Does my church family confirm it? I had this impression, and so I need to take it to my church family to confirm it. What? Does my church... I can't wait to see what verse he uses for this. Ephesians 3.10 says, God's intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. This man has no conscience. None. Wow. Ephesians 3.10 has nothing to do with what he does. So Ephesians 3.10, according to him... God's intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known, dot, 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 and out of context. And he's basically saying, that proves that God means that when we have an impression, your church family uh, should confirm it. N- no. So let's t- take a look at this. Ephesians. Oh, man, this is this man. All right. Ephesians 3. All right. So I'll start in uh, verse 7 for context. I don't know what translation or paraphrase he was using, but we'll use a good one. Of this gospel, 
the gospel, the good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, rose again on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Of this gospel, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places. Does that sound like, it? you know, check your impressions by having your church body confirm it? Not even close. The manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Yeah, that's uh, not what that text says at all. Listen again. This is just demonic. My church family confirmed. Ephesians 3.10 says God's intent was that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known. The Christian life is more than just believing. It's also belonging, and you're part of a family. And by the way, if you're reading through Scripture and you get an interpretation that nobody else in 2,000 years of Christianity has ever had, guess what? You're wrong. Does he not take his own advice here? Because nobody in 2,000 years of Christian history have ever used Habakkuk chapter 2 to say that these are the five things you need to do in in order to hear the voice of God. Nobody ever in the 2,000 years of Christian history ever went to Exodus 4 and said that Moses laying down his staff was the first act of submission necessary for us to be able to hear the voice of God. This, and he said this unironically, that's just... Whoa, hear it again. Listen to this. Should be made known. The Christian life is more than just believing. It's also belonging, and you're part of a family. And by the way, if you're reading through Scripture and you get an interpretation that nobody else in 2,000 years of Christianity has ever had, guess what? You're wrong. I agree. That proves you're wrong this entire lecture. Now the devil's just mocking these people. He's mocking them, going... Well, Rick Warren just taught stuff that nobody believed or taught in 2,000 years of Christian history, and you all slurped it up like it was, oh, it was liquid gold. It was all pig slop. Because God speaks to his body. If it's true, it's not new. <laughs> right. Truth has always been eternal. Truth is never invented. Truth is rediscovered. You might want to rediscover the truth of the biblical text that you just twisted. If it's true, it's not new. It's been around forever. You know, I think the church family part is critical Mm. because you'll always find someone to tell you what you want to hear. Mm. In the Old Testament, King Ahab, Mm. he went to 400 different prophets asking whether he should go to war. Yeah. Yeah. And all of them told him what he wanted to hear. Yeah. Because, and especially sometimes people who have some form of influence, there'll be always people around you. Yeah, they were all false prophets. You know, operating under a deceiving spirit. He'll tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. And then the prophet says, is there any others? He said, well, there's just one, but I hate him. <laughs> That's literally what the Bible says. He yeah, said, I yeah, hate yeah, him. Yeah. Because there was one prophet, 400, told him what he wanted to hear, but only one who told him what he needed to hear. Yeah. And, uh, you so, know, I mean, your hairdresser will tell you, but yeah. there'll be all sorts of people. So exactly. the right people around you, church, family. 
And, and the prophet Jeremiah, he was forbidden from entering the temple, man. And uh, he turned out to be the right prophet and all the other prophets who were saying that uh, there's going to be peace and that Nebuchadnezzar is not going to attack us and God's going to deliver us. They all were liars. Godly counsel is absolutely critical. Did you hear what he just said? That's so important. If mature believers have a check on something you feel is an impression from God, you really ought to check it out. Oh, man, this is just the tyranny of the utter subjective. Okay. When in doubt, check it out. Again, what biblical text are we operating from? Because the one you quoted doesn't teach this. When in doubt, check it out. Go to some godly believers. The Bible says the wisdom of the righteous can save you. And that has nothing to do with checking impressions. By the way, if you get an idea and you feel any personal resistance to sharing it with anybody else to have it checked, where do you think that resistance is coming from? From sanity, believing that maybe I'm just crazy for believing this false doctrine and believing that I'm hearing voices in my head. It's not coming from God. Probably it might be. Okay. It's coming from Satan. Okay. I doubt that. Number four. Test four. How to test an impression. Is it consistent with how God shaped me? Is it consistent with how God shaped me? Ephesians 2.10, God made... So now we've, we've worked in his purpose-driven life doctrine into here. And uh, the concept of shape from the purpose-driven life book has now come up as a cardinal way to test whether or not you're hearing from God. Oh, this is just blindness and darkness. It's what we are. And in Christ Jesus, God made us to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to do. You can discover a lot about God's will for your life by looking at how God wired you. I know that it is not God's will for me to be an opera singer. Because I can't carry a tune in a baggie on that. And, and so I know if, if I got an impression God wants you to resign as a pastor and become an airline pilot, I would know it would not be God's will. Because I'm not shaped for that. It's, it's who you are. It's how, how... You're clearly not shaped to be a biblical exegete, are you? You're wired. And so if you're tone deaf, God is not calling you to be a worship leader. Sorry. You want to say anything about that? Well, I think God's not schizophrenic. <laughs> he doesn't make you one way to use you a different way. A good point. He knew exactly what he had in mind when he created you and gave you all those gifts and talents. Yeah, good point. And that's what Ephesians says. You look at your shape. And by the way, I... That is not... <laughs> that is not what Ephesians 2 says. <sighs> all right, Ephesians 2. You'll note that Ephesians... Chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 work together as a unit. Uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 tells us our state before we are Christians. And then you've got the big but in for God being rich in mercy. He's the one who made us alive together with Christ by grace who have been saved. He is the one who raised us up with him, seated us <coughs> with Christ in heavenly places, and then we get this wonderful passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Um, so here's the thing. It's ergois. It's plural. Good works. Epi ergois agathois. Good works, plural. This begs the question, what's a good work? 
See Ten Commandments if you're not sure. See the back end of this epistle of Ephesians if you're not sure. It lists out many, many of the good works in the context in which they're done in. This is not talking about how God has shaped us. This Because you do good works as a child, you do good works as an adult, you do good works as a father, as a mother, as a grandmother, as an employer, as an employee. This isn't talking about our shape. This is talking about loving your neighbor as yourself and obeying the commands of God. Our good works are defined by the commandments of God, not by my shape. So he's hijacked Ephesians 2.10 to make it about something it's not, his purpose-driven doctrine. You know, I wrote a chapter on this in Purpose Driven Life, the five things that make you, S-H-A-P-E, spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personalities, and experiences. And the kind of experience that God uses most to shape you, hate to tell you this, it's painful. Painful experiences. Your greatest ministry will come out of your deepest hurt. Now, that's generally true, by the way. Who could better help a person who's been raped than somebody who's been raped? Anybody can bring good out of good. God specializes in bringing good out of bad. He loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. Oh, man. See, yeah, yeah, you've just trivialized the cross there. Scripture talks about the fact that we participate in the sufferings of Christ. And so it's not about taking crucifixions and turning them into resurrections, because now you've allegorized the crucifixion and Christ's resurrection. It's about participating in the sufferings of Christ. Okay, we got two minutes left. One minute, 54 seconds. I'm going to make it. Oh, getting to the finish line here. I'm getting excited. I don't have to listen to this nonsense too much longer. Number five, fifth way to test an impression. Is it convicting rather than condemning? Now, let me, let me just say what I'm talking about here. The Bible tells us that the Holy... Again, no, no scripture talks about these, are, these being tests for testing um, impressions. The whole category doesn't even exist in scripture. Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But the Bible also says in Revelation, Satan is the accuser. So how do you know when it's conviction and how do you know when it's condemnation? Conviction comes from God. Condemnation comes from the devil. Conviction is because God loves you. Condemnation comes because Satan hates you. Conviction says you're a sinner. Condemnation says you're worthless. Before I say anything else, you are not worthless. Hang on a second here. Um, prior to being a Christian, um, <clears throat> hang on a second here. Be worthless. Let's do a little work here. Ah, yes, Romans three. I want you to think about this for a second. Romans three describes all of humanity before anybody's a Christian. All right, and talking about our state that it, we're born into, and the Apostle Paul is quoting the Psalms. Paul asks a question, are we, what then, are we Jews any better off, you know, any better off than the Gentiles? And he says, not at all. For we have already charged that all, pantas, all, both Jews and Greeks, they're under sin, as it is written. And you're going to note here, he's quoting from uh, Psalm 53, verses 1 to 3, as well as Psalm 14, 1 to 3. These words appear three times in Scripture. Listen to the words. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. 
all have turned aside and together they have become akreo worthless no one does good not even one their throat is an open grave their tongues they use their tongues to see the venom of asps is under their lips every single one of us born dead in trespasses and sins we have turned aside from god and together according to scripture we have all become worthless whose voice are you going to believe the voice of the holy spirit written in scripture three times or are you going to believe the voice of rick warren because this guy is really good at telling people what they want to hear scratching itching ears back this up and let's consider what is said here condemnation says you're worthless before i say anything else you are not worthless scripture says that all of us who have turned aside to sin we are worthless that's what scripture says your distinction doesn't hold up under biblical scrutiny okay you're not worthless um if you want to know how valuable you are you look at the cross with arms outstretched. Oh my goodness. He teaches the same blasphemous doctrine as uh, Todd White. The cross does not show us our worth. It shows us the greatness of God's mercy. Back in the up. Worthless. Okay? You're not worthless. Um, if you want to know how valuable you are, you look at the cross. With arms outstretched and nail-pierced hands, Jesus says, I love you this much. Really? God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. He did this because of his great love, his mercy, his practically pity upon his creation. I love you so much it hurts. That's not the gospel. With dro blood dropping from his hands, he says, I'd rather die than live without you. That's how much you value. That's a different gospel altogether. That's not the biblical gospel. That's how much God values you. You know what? Let me give you one more. I'm going to skip you on this because there's one more test, and then I'm going to tell you a story about that one. Uh, I didn't plan on doing it. The sixth question is, do, does, do I sense God's peace about it? Do I sense God? And, and the Bible says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. If you feel pressured, if you feel overwhelmed, we don't have any example in Scripture of Jesus running anywhere. He was never in a hurry. So the, the, the Holy Spirit draws you gently. The whole, the, Satan drives you fiercely. You want to say a word about that? About peace of God? I think um, the peace of God, it's lasting as well. Like you can have an impression. Uh, now they're just pooling their opinions here. Um, but it's really, you know, does it sustain the test, that impression? Does it yeah. stay strong? And I think that's where often the peace of God comes into it. Mm -hmm. I'll end with a story. I, um, a while back, I was speaking at a prison, 6,000 prisoners. Uh, we had had uh, uh, them go through 40 days of purpose, and 189 guys had gone through 40 days of purpose, and about 87 of them accepted Christ. And I went up there to baptize them in the in the yard and there were 6,000 guys in the yard and they gave me an hour and a half to preach to them and uh, they, nobody was paying attention. I had a microphone but nobody was paying attention. So I pulled out a $50 bill and I held it up say, anybody want this $50 bill? 6,000 hands went up. 
I took it and I crumpled it up and I tore it a little bit. I said, anybody want this $50 bill? 6,000 hands still went up. I spit on that $50 bill and I put it on the ground and I stomped it into the ground. I said, anybody want this $50 bill? 6,000 hands went up. And I said, guys, some of you, this is what your daddy did to you. And what society did to you. And you were told that you were worthless. You didn't amount to anything. And you're broken and you're bruised and you're dirtied. And you've been spit on. And you did some stupid stuff. And that's why you're here too. But you have not lost one cent of your value to God. This is the deadliest part of this. We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, apart from the law, although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. This is the righteousness of God that is through faith in Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation and atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what then becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's what the scripture says. It goes on to say in chapter 4, What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness or counted. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who uh, does not uh, work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Note this. God justifies the ungodly through faith in Christ. And when you say, oh yeah, God said you are so worth it. And you deny what scripture says that in our sin and rebellion that we have become worthless. Then you're going to note that uh, your salvation was because of your great value rather than the great mercy, love, pity of God. What Rick Warren is teaching here at the very end, that's not the voice of God. It's a totally different voice. And it's a different gospel that he's preaching altogether. All right, that's the end of it. Thank God. All right. So I think I'm just going to leave off where I left off. This is not God's voice. This doctrine is not taught in Scripture. If 
God wants us to hear his voice, why is it that when men open up their Bibles to teach us the doctrine of hearing the voice of God, that they end up twisting God's word, mangling it in the case of Rick Warren? I mean, there was nothing that was left completely not bent out of shape and forced into say something it didn't say by him that was in the scriptures. Why is it that if this is what God wants us to do, learn how to hear his voice, that the men who teach this doctrine have to twist God's word this badly in order to make it appear that the Bible teaches this? The answer is obvious, because this is not a biblical doctrine. And the voices that they're catechizing you to hear are the voices of the demonic or of your own mind or your own sinful flesh, not the voice of God. And despite their lip service to the, uh, you know, to the Bible and the written word of God, that's all it is. It's lip service. You want to hear the voice of God, God's word says his voice is in the scripture. He's speaking to us through what he had his prophets of the Old Testament write and also what he had the apostles write. Christ makes it clear that his words that were given to him by the Father, he's given to the disciples, and that people would believe in him through their words. Uh, probably one more text I should throw into the mix. Let me let me pull it up on my uh, my Bible before I before I pull it back here. It's in uh, it's in First Timothy, First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six, and and uh, and uh, in fact, let me pull up my Bible here, and you can see this. Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy: If anyone teaches a different doctrine, this is verse three, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit, and he understands nothing. If anyone teaches a doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit like the devil and understands nothing. So, your job now. Who is it that has um, opened up the word and taught what's in accord with what Christ's word says in context, rightly exegeted? Was it Rick Warren or was it me? I don't expect you to give me the benefit of the doubt. Test my words. Test how I've handled the scriptures. And again, answer the question. Why are these people who are, teaching us, who are teaching us to hear the voice of God, why do they so badly twist God's word in order to teach this doctrine? I think those are good places to end our lab work and finally be done with that sermon. We'll do another sermon review next week at the Irwin McManus one. We'll throw that into the mix for next week. It'll be a short, short week next week because of the Christmas holiday. But uh, we'll... We'll round it out, and then I'll explain in the days after Christmas how this will all be gathered up into a, uh, into a, into a course that will be available for people for free, that they can just walk through each of these videos and really be confident that when they're opening the Bible, they're hearing the voice of God and learn how to hear the voice of people who are twisting God's word and, uh, and not uh, remaining and abiding in the words of Christ and actually contradicting it. So... Until next time, let's, uh, let's head off right, shall we? Until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ as vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition, any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackwithfightingforthefaith.com. Follow me on Twitter, my name is at Christian, or Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian.